Every year, we dedicate one month to highlight the ways God has used the faithfulness of our church family to demonstrate God's faithful love to people in our community and around the world. According to Global Studies, children in poor communities often do not have safe recreational spaces to play. Kids are creative and resilient, and so they often find ways to entertain themselves. But imagine the peace of mind for a parent when their child has a safe space to play and have fun. Through your faithful generosity to practical love, we have been able to partner with kids around the world and Pastor Fabian of Casa de Dios to build two playgrounds in small rural communities in Ecuador. In 2022, we sent a team to help build a playground in Picoche. And in 2023, we sent a team to help build a playground in Rio Cania. But we are not just building playgrounds around the world. Through your generosity and the generosity of kids around the world, we were able to build a playground on our campus. This was built because we wanted to provide a safe and fun space for children to play for our faith family and for the guests of our ministry partners located on site. While play for children is important, we do this because we want families to witness and experience the love of Jesus. Through this simple act of building a playground, we were able to help Pastor Fabian and the local churches show hundreds of families in their community that Jesus loves them and cares for them. Through practical love, your faithful generosity over the years has helped bring joy to children, peace of mind to parents, and tangibly demonstrated God's faithfulness and love to the world. Your faithful generosity has made this possible. You can participate in Practical Love by giving of your time and resources. Our goal this year is to pack 100,000 meals. To learn more about the projects we've supported in the past and how to sign up for the meal packing event, go to rollinghills.org love. How is God calling you to show faithfulness through Practical Love? Good morning. My name is Zach. I am the Community and Global Outreach Pastor here. And, uh, you know, I was sharing with the first service, as I was watching that video this morning, I was, I was struck with something because yesterday, uh, my son, he had a birthday party and we were driving around Happy Valley, which is an area I'm not super familiar with. And so within like three to five minutes of that house that we were going to, we probably drove past four playgrounds. And I was like, man, that's awesome. And then as I'm sitting here watching this video, it's like, and this is why we do this. Because it's like the playgrounds that we've built, they might be the only playground in that whole town or community. And so we want to be able to provide that safe place. Like, you know, when I was driving around that neighborhood and I saw those safe playgrounds, these really nice playgrounds for kids in that community to play. And it was like, man, we get to share that with kids around the world as well. And that's one of the things we get to do again. We're working on uh, the men's ministry is working on sending a team to the Philippines next January. And uh, beyond just building playgrounds, actually the playground building is allowing this, the high school group, Lord willing, is going to Ecuador. And yes, there's the high schoolers over there. Um, there was, they're gonna be going to Ecuador, but they're not building a playground because we've done the playground build a couple times, so we've got a relationship. And so now they're gonna be going and helping our friends there with a vacation Bible school. And so the playground's opening up the doors for more ways for us to share the love of Jesus with the children and the families in the community. And so before I, I leave, I just wanna encourage you guys to know, you guys heard it up in the video, but we have the meal packing going on next week and next Sunday. So if you're interested, please sign up. So registrations are coming along great. We're about two thirds of the way full for the 11 and I think the 9 a.m. is about halfway full. And just a reminder, if you're a parent of little children like the 
kindergarten through fifth grade, they'll be coming down there, so you don't need to sign them up. But if you guys are interested in coming and signing up, you can sign up online at rollinghills.org love. Thank you, guys. All right. That's always a, it's a fun time. We, do, we usually pack over 100,000 meals on that day. So that'll be next weekend. Sign up for that. Um, practical love is something we do every February. May change next year, not sure. Might be January next year, but um, that's to be determined. But what we do is we highlight, and here's some of the things that we have the opportunity to step into, um, and they're usually projects connected to our ministry partners. And so you've seen some of the um, playgrounds we did with kids around the world. Um, we're going to do more with them this year in the Philippines and then um, working with them in Ecuador. But... Uh, one of the projects every year is to pack those meals. And so um, we, we typically raise funds during February for these projects. And uh, that, that can happen again this year. But we're also asking you to consider a bigger need we have. And that is our main regular giving goes to support all these relationships that we have, as well as our ministries here in the local area. And, um, and so we're trying to build our base of regular ongoing giving for our um, ongoing church ministries um, in this area. And so, uh, and, and that's really the foundation for these special projects as well. So we've been bringing that to you um, every week this, this month. And, and, uh, and we've been growing, we were growing going into COVID, COVID, you know, COVID happened. And then uh, pandemic, nobody's meeting. And then we slowly been building and now we are continuing to build at a more rapid place, our pace than we have been and excited about that. But we also know we need to uh, increase the uh, base of our giving. And so uh, thank you for praying about that. I'm going to be putting some videos together talking about what does the Bible say about it? What's, the, what's our um, attitudes to be towards it? Why does God want us to do it? Is God lacking resources? Is he just really want our money? And it's like, no, no, he actually wants to grow us. And um, so I'll be putting some videos together for that. Thanks, some of you gave um, questions that you'd like addressed in those videos. And so um, I'll be doing that as well. All right, so now we are, we've been going through books of the Bible, books of the Old Testament, and doing an entire book in one week. So we started with Jonah, then we did Esther, Ezra, and today we're doing Nehemiah. And so I want to put some um, time up here just to kind of let you know when in history these things took place. Uh, a couple of big dates in my mind is right here. 586 BC. Um, that is when the final defeat of Jerusalem happened by the Babylonian Empire and when they did it for the third time. And, and really, um, Jerusalem wasn't that huge of a power. Judah wasn't that huge of a power. Egypt was. And so, like the Assyrians and then the Babylonians and the Egyptians would be battling together. And those were two big powders, powers. But you had to go through Israel in order to for the Egyptians to get to Babylonia or for the Babylonians to get to Egypt. And so that's why um, Judah was so much battled over, not because it was a world power, but because it was in their way. So finally in 536 BC, or in 586 BC is when it was finally destroyed. 
The city of Jerusalem was burnt to the ground. The walls were knocked down. The temple was destroyed. It's like once and for all, we are getting rid of you people who are pests. And then they took them off into Babylonia. The next big thing that happened was in 538 BC, where now a new kingdom is, has taken over Babylonia, and that is the Medo-Persian Empire. And they have a totally different philosophy regarding kingdoms that they defeat. And so King Cyrus said, hey, all of you who are Jews, who, are, you know, um, who believe that the promised land is Judah and Jerusalem is your holy city, uh, you can go back if you want. And so that led to the first migration back to Jerusalem, and that was led by Zerubbabel, and that was the first half of the book of Ezra, okay? So the book of Ezra has the first two migrations back out of exile, back to Jerusalem. Zerubbabel led the first one. He rebuilt the temple, led the rebuilding of the temple. The second um, uh, migration back was Ezra leading that one. It was 60 years later. And uh, he really taught the Torah. He was a priest. He was a scribe. He taught the Torah. And he wanted to rebuild. Now that we have the temple, I want the people of God to resemble the people of God and remember who God is and who you are to be because this is who God made you to be. This is how you're to function together. So Ezra came back. Then in 445 BC, the third migration happened, and that was led by Nehemiah. That's what we're going to look at today. And... Um, as you look at that, 445 B.C., the last book in the Old Testament was Malachi, written in 430 B.C., and it was written to those people that Nehemiah brought back in that third migration. And then, after Malachi, is 400 years of silence until the birth of the Messiah, Jesus Christ, and the Gospels begin. Okay, so we are, we are getting to the end of of the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, as we are looking at, Malach, uh, at Nehemiah today. All right, so Nehemiah chapter one, verse one. Um, by the way, Ezra and Nehemiah was one book. And if you look at the Hebrew Bible today, it's still one book. Um, person named Origen, I think it was in the third century BC, no, AD rather, uh, he's the one that divided it because Ezra had written um, Chronicles, and then wrote Ezra, and then Nehemiah writes um, what we know as the book of Nehemiah, even though he wrote the second half of what was originally one book of Ezra and Nehemiah's writings, okay? And so that was um, divided by origin when the, um, and then when the English Bibles started being printed much later, then that's, uh, they continue with origins dividing those two books. All right. Where am I? Oh, here we go. Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 1. Uh, the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month of Cheslev, in the 20th year, as I was in Susha, the capital. So Susha is, um, was the winter capital of the Medo-Persian Empire. Okay, Babylon was the summer um, capital. Okay, the Hanani, one of my brothers came with certain men from Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. So Nehemiah's going, how is it going in, in you know, God's sacred city, the city of Jerusalem, as people have now, the people of God have been 
filtering back to that city. Verse three, and they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile um, is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. And Nehemiah was so upset by this. It was such a discouraging word. And that the walls are broken down and that the, the gates are, are broken down and they were been torched. Um, that's not something new that happened. They're saying it's in the same condition it was from when it got destroyed by the Babylonians. Now get this, 140 years ago. And so th this is, the, the scene in Jerusalem is kind of like, you know, the, the apocalyptic movies that we, you know, that we see now that like I really like and my wife really hates. But um, I just like, oh, this is so cool. Look into the future, you know. It's like, okay, post-apocalyptic, you got these cities that are just overgrown with, with weeds and, and shrubbery and things are breaking. I mean, that was Jerusalem. And that's the report back to Nehemiah. The city is in shambles. The people are in shambles. They are not a people that have been united as a people of God and they are not serving God. They've forgotten who they are and they've forgotten who their God is. And Nehemiah is crushed. And so what does he do? It says he fasted and prayed. He fasted and prayed. So here's the first thought. I'm, I'm gonna pull some principles out and I'm pulling principles out that are talking about how does God work through his people, all right? Now, you need to understand, I'm making an assumption here that as Westerners, we don't assume, but I want you to get your mind around this. The Bible is an Eastern book, all right? One of the things about the mindset of the East, it's completely different than our mindset in the West today in that we are an individualistic people. We battle for our individual rights. There is nothing uh, more sacred to us than my individual rights as a person um, in America. And then I can be anything I want to be, that's the American dream, and um, we really value the individual. So our mindset, when we go to Bible, is, is we take that into the Bible and we read the Bible as if it's talking to me, only me, in my individual, privatized, spiritual journey with God. And I want you to know that is, the, that is not the mindset God had when he had this written. He had the written that you, uh, the mindset that you are my people. People that choose to follow me are united in a people that together will reflect me in their community and world. And so we're looking back in the Old Testament at the, at the community of God, the people of God, the descendants of Abraham who've been called to reflect him. And it's a, um, as I go, I am benefiting my community or I am taking away from that community that I've been called to be a part of, all right? And so here's my first thought is how God works through us is by praying to God and then taking action when you know what he wants. And so that's what Nehemiah does. He instantly goes and he starts praying. And do you know how long he prayed before he took action? He wanted to take action. He knew he wanted to do something about this. Here am I, Lord, send me. I want to be your, your person to help lead a change, a revival. 
that's going to make your city to reflect your glory as it was intended to be and your people to reflect your glory. Use me. But he, now he begins praying. He doesn't go to the king and instantly start demanding. He begins praying. And do you know how long he prays? Four months before he says anything. Well, it was the king. He doesn't have a right to say anything to the king. Yes, that's true. But you know what he was? He was the king's cupbearer, it said, which means that he made sure the king wasn't poisoned. But he also was on the, in the king's cabinet then. And so he was an advisor to the king. And so he would have the ear of the king many times during that four months. And never did he mention what was burning on his heart because he was praying to God. What was he praying? He was probably praying that God, that this, your people have left you. And so he's confessing and he's saying prayers like we have left you. Our sins are ever before you. Why is he talking? Did he do all those things? Not necessarily, but he's seeing himself as part of a community of people who've been called by God to follow him. Okay, so he's part of something bigger than himself. Okay, so that's his mindset. So he's praying about that. He's confessing. He's asking God to prepare his heart. I, I think I know what I want and what is right, but would you, I want to listen to you. Is this what you want me to do? And then if it is, would you prepare my heart to represent you well when I have a chance to talk to the king about this? And will you prepare the king's heart to receive this? Four months, he prays. He finally gets his answer. Um, the, king, the king's like, hey, you've not been yourself lately. What's bo bothering you? And so he tells him, my people and my city is, is destroyed. It's in ruins. And so would it please the king if I would lead a group back and rebuild the walls of this beautiful city that once was beautiful? And now the temple is rebuilt, but the people are not gathering there and they are not connecting their hearts to God and I think God wants to use me. And the king, by the way, the king is Artaxerxes, son of Xerxes, stepson of Esther, all right? So that's the king and Nehemiah is his cupbearer. And so Nehemiah asks and the king, and this is a beautiful thing, man, we spend time praying to God about a relationship we have or about a difficult conversation we have, and we're asking God, you know, get my heart right, God. I want to be able to do this in a way that's honoring to you. I know I need to step in and say something, but I want to do it in a way that's honoring to you. Would you prepare my heart? And would you prepare their heart? And here, God prepares Artaxerxes' heart when Artaxerxes is not praying about this at all. He's not asking God to prepare his heart, but God's heart but God is preparing his heart because of the faithfulness of Nehemiah and his prayers. Now, I want you to think about this a little bit because in our country, and, and I um, admire this too, but we really admire people that get things done. I mean, it's, it's what made our country. It, it's what moved it ahead. It, it is um, you know, the sweat on our backs, the hard work, the seeing problems and fixing them and innovating and moving ahead and getting things done. And we just like, I love that. I mean, we, we see people around us and we go, oh my goodness. We, when we talk about something, we knew something, 
uh, we should be doing something, that person just goes. And the next time I'm talking to them, they're down the road. They, they didn't, they're not spending five more months thinking about it. They're moving, and we admire that. Here's the warning from God to us, and the learning from God to us in this is, is getting stuff done is, is not always the mind of God. But listening to God and having our hearts aligned with his and then moving accordingly, that is the heart of God. All right, and so we, we need to slow down sometimes, a lot of times, and we need to pray. Even when you know what the right thing to do is, it's like, God, help me to do the right thing in the right way, with the right attitude. I, I need to talk to this person. It's gonna be a hard conversation. I know I need to do it. God, would you remind me who I am and how broken I am? before I enter into a conversation that's gonna be difficult with somebody else? I mean, give me your heart, God. And that is something I so admire in Nehemiah several times throughout the book of Nehemiah. We see him pulling back and seeking God and then boldly stepping ahead and going once he knew his heart was, was connected to God. So, then he goes to the people. Well, he actually, he goes, to, he goes to Jerusalem. The king says, yes, not only can you go, but you can um, take these resources. I want to give you these materials. I want you to be successful. And so the king just not only sets them up, but he really sets them up. And he takes people and he goes with them. He gets to Jerusalem and he looks around and he says, yeah, this is what I was told it was. And then he takes three days and at, in the evenings when everything, when people aren't wandering around, he's wandering around the broken down walls and the broken down gates and he's just assessing the situation. And as he's walking and seeing and you know, his, his little engineering brain, is, is, his wheels are turning, he's praying. And he's saying, God, would you move in the hearts of people? And would, you people, would your people stand up and risk rebuilding the city so it could reflect your glory as it originally was built to do. And so for three days he does that and then he goes to the people and says, um, I'm here to build. Uh, th this is God's city, here's God's temple and it is in the shambles and we need as God's people to step up. And they stepped up and they began building. Um, by the way, opposition, you know, it's like, he prayed for all that time, and so he's confident that God's with him. And then he talks to the king, and the king's with him. Therefore, you would think success. And actually, it was therefore opposition. There was opposition. We read about it in Ezra, how there was opposition every step of the way with Zerubbabel and Ezra, and now there's, there's opposition again. And so many times, we think if we're convinced that God has us in the right place at the right time to do his work, and we are prayed up, and we go, and we hit opposition, we can stop. I mean, the wind can get out of our sails, and we can go, hey, what's wrong? I thought God was in this. And really, we probably should be thinking, oh yeah, God must be in this because there's problems. And God says, I want you to trust me. I want you to continue to trust me. Don't let it slow you down. You know, in, um, in nature, in our physical world, we have I, you know, Isaac Newton. He has his third law of motion. 
And uh, you know that, you were taught that in school. For every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. Okay, that's a, that's a physical, scientific law. I think there's a really similar spiritual law. If God's working in you and God's working through you and he's asking you to move on his behalf and be part of his movement of God and his family, I think there's going to be opposition. When, when, when you're stepping into something that's outside of, of your comfort zone and you're trusting God because you're feeling God's leading you, um, Satan is not up there going, good job. But he wants to oppose you. He wants to discourage you. He wants you to stop listening to God and following God. And so he's going to try to take the wind out of yourselves. And so don't let him. The Bible says he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And so just expect it. Opposition's going to come. And for them, it was um, political opposition. It was the people in the land and the local government was really opposing them. There would be a famine that was happening. And so they just brought taxes against the people who were building the wall like none other, just trying to crush them. Um, there were physical attacks against them that the local Samaritans were coming against them trying to stop it because the way that they worshiped was different. And so we were having a spiritual war against you as well. I mean, there was all of this opposition that was coming up against Nehemiah and it didn't stop him because he was prayed up and he was connected to the heart of God and he was all in. And so, man, expect it. Don't get knocked off your horse because, oh, this isn't going easy. There's, now there's more problems. No, man, just that's, that's the journey with the Lord. And that's the journey of faith, isn't it? If everything was easy and everything was, there was problems were eliminated, um, it would require no faith. You could get things done on your own. And uh, Nehemiah here, as he's tr trying to lead people to rebuild the wall, there's so many, so many distractions and points of conflict that when the wall's done being built, he's, he could say, I couldn't have done this. That this was the work of God. And so you get to see God at work. Okay, now we're in chapter three. Chapter three, verse one. Then Eliashib, the high priest, rose up with his brothers, the priests. So these, these are Jewish people who returned and they are going to build the sheep gate. And so it's like, okay, his family is gonna take on this gate and we're gonna rebuild this gate. Verse two. And next to him, the men of Jericho built. And next to them, Zachar, the son of Emery built. And it goes on. Verse 4. And next to them, Mirmoth, the son of Uriah built. And then it goes on and on. It says 16 times next to them. And so here's the thinking of Nehemiah. We have opposition. It is um, people are yelling at us. People are throwing stones at us. Um, th there are threats of militia coming against us to attack us and kill us, to stop us doing this. And so um, this is going to be difficult. We're going to have to build this wall well. And so here's what I'm going to do. And this is how God works through us, by owning our specific responsibility in God's family. By owning our specific responsibility in God's family. What, what he did is he said, okay, Omri, your family, I want you to build this section of the wall. And in building this section of the wall, you're gonna live behind that section. And then next family, you're gonna live right here and still build the wall in front of, your, in front of where you're living. And every family was building the wall 
And if they did a rotten job, it was at the peril of their own family. It's like, I am taking ownership of building this wall really well because it's protecting my family. And it was a brilliant move on behalf of Nehemiah, but it is also a move that is consistent throughout the Bible regarding his followers. If, if you look at um, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, read that chapter, and it is all about us, followers of Jesus, and saying, as a follower of Jesus, God has placed you into his family, and he has given you certain gifts and abilities and interests and passions and experiences, and he's placed you where he wants you within that body. And so now, take on your responsibility. Your responsibility that's uniquely you and uniquely to be used within the family of God. And if you don't do it, um, there's nobody else like you. Your body needs you, just like your faith family, um, you need your faith family. And so this is a principle that we, God works through his people who are united towards his mission as we carry out the part of the wall that he's asked us to build. And so we own it, we own it. Now, one time I heard a coach, um, maybe I read it, but it was a coach trying to define the game of football to somebody who didn't understand it. And he says, the game of football is this, it's 22 men who are on the field and they are in desperate need of rest. And then there's 50,000 people in the stands watching those 22 men and they're in desperate need of exercise. And there, there you got a football game. And so here's the picture of the family of God, is there's nobody in the stands because we're all on the field. We are starters. We're first string. We have an assignment to do. But a lot of times we think in our spiritual journey, it's like, okay, God's forgiven me of sin. That's great. I'll pray to him. I'll ask him for something every once in a while. But primarily I would like to um, sit in the stands and drink a beer and eat, you know, chili cheese fries and watch other people, watch the game. Oh yeah, God, you know, yeah, church isn't doing well or look how things are going on. And, and, we, and we're really great at that now because now we have places to express ourselves without being seen. Um, you know, and, and so we're fans. And God's saying, no, you're not a fan. You're a starter. Get in the game. Every one of you have gifts and abilities and passions, and you're uniquely made by me as somebody special. And I want you to live on mission with your faith family. And now go. And if we're not in that mentality, then we are not understanding what Jesus says his church is going to be. One body made up of many different parts and if you're not stepping into your part, then um, we have a body that is lacking. And so that's what I love about Nehemiah and the families that were stepping forth and taking on their responsibilities wholeheartedly. And that's what the church of God's to be. Now, chapter four, as they were building the wall, they're also being attacked. And so how'd they handle that? <clears throat> Four, <coughs> excuse me, 417, those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand. And so with one hand, they had the trowel or the shovel or the pickaxe, and they were working. But in the other hand, they held their weapon. Man, that's going to be slow. That's going to be clumsy. But why were they doing that? 
because they were being attacked all the time. And so they were trying to accomplish building the wall while they were also defending their families, but not just their families. Verse 20, in the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there and our God will fight for us. So all along the wall behind these families, there was somebody who had a trumpet. And when a part of the wall was being attacked, that trumpet would blow and everybody would leave what they were doing and run to that trumpet to defend that section of the wall. So they had a specific responsibility. God, you've, you've uniquely gifted me to do this and to advance your kingdom with this gifts and, pass, and, and passions. Um, and so I am focusing on that and I'm not letting things distract me and I'm focusing on it. But then there are times when people in my faith family are hurt, are under attack, are tired, and you need me to run to their aid. And I'm there. I'm there. I'm not saying, oh, no, no, no. I have my responsibility. You have yours. You know, I'm not asking you to help me. Don't ask me to help you. It's like, no. No, we're generalists in the sense that we are for each other. And there are times in our life where you are going to need to step into the lives of somebody else and listen and pray and cry with or celebrate with. And then there's times in your life where you're gonna really need somebody to come running to your trumpet because you're hurt or you're down and you don't think you can get up and you need somebody to listen and you need something to care for you and carry you when you're not strong enough on your own. And that's a picture of the family of God. That's a picture of the children of God who were his people in his city, rebuilding his city. And that's a picture of the family of God in the New Testament, that we are there for each other. We're uniquely made by God to do things. The person sitting next to you couldn't do as good as you can do. But then when the person sitting next to you is hurting, you run to their help. And that's what was happening as they were rebuilding and under attack and facing opposition. Nehemiah chapter six, verse, uh, verse 15. So the wall was finished. They got it done on the 25th day of the month of Elu. In 52 days, they got it finished. It's a big celebration. Man, what, what, a, what a great day that was against this opposition. They got it done. They got it done fast. Now, we go to chapter eight. Um, the next three chapters are... Um, the focus is shifting to we were rebuilding Jerusalem, the walls, and now we have to rebuild the people to fill the walls because nobody had been living inside, this, inside the city of Jerusalem because there was no protective walls. And so now they went around and they said, okay, followers of God, we need to be the people of God in the city of God where the temple of God is. And so let's start acting like God followers and let's, let's come together. And so what they did is uh, surrounding villages all over the countryside, they said, would you tithe 10% of your people to move inside the walls of Jerusalem? And then when we gather there, let's remember who God is and who we are as God's people. And so that's what they did in chapter eight, verse one. And all the people gathered as one man in the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra, the scribe, to bring the book of the law of Moses 
to the, um, that the Lord had commanded Israel. And so they gathered together as one people, as one people under God, and they read for seven days the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, the first five books that were written by Moses. And they said, they got there in the morning after breakfast, and they said, would you stand for the reading of the scripture? And they would stand and they would begin reading the first five books of the Bible. Those aren't short books. They, they, they would go in five hour chunks of time. And so you think I'm long, you know, count your blessings. Five hours, they would stand and listen to the word of God. And then Ezra would, would read it and then he would teach it. And for five hours, they'd listen for seven days. And it reminded them of who their God was. How did they get there? What was their purpose in life? How do we reflect God in how we live? And what did they do? They confessed. They confessed. They vowed to follow um, the laws of God. And they said, we're going to do this. We're in. And so, I mean, God's word changes us, doesn't it? God's word is used to correct us, to make us get a better perspective and to clarify our perspective of who God is. And he is God and he is worthy to be praised and to be followed. And then they broke out in celebration and they had a giant, giant uh, praise service where it says with great joy, they were singing to God and with gladness in their hearts. And I was just, as I was reading that, I was thinking, okay, in Sunday morning, when we get together to sing, what's our attitude? You know, and, and we get together and sing. A lot of times we think, ah, I'm not really a music guy. I don't have a great voice. I'm just going to, I don't know. I just don't even want to be here for this part. Um, and the person sitting next to me, I don't know if I can take that anymore. And, and that's, I mean, that's our attitude. And what he's saying here is when our hearts are connected to who God is in his goodness in what he's done, virtually the definition of praise is to recognize who God is and what he's done and respond to it. That's praise. And so when we gather here, it is in the midst of the busyness of life to stop and take a breath. <sighs> Let me remember who God is. God, you're good. Your patience, your pursuit, who you are, all-knowing, all-powerful. That means that your, your promises are trustworthy. I can bank on them. If you, if you weren't all-powerful, if you were powerless, then it would be empty promises. But you're a God who is righteous. Everything that you do is good. And I've seen your goodness in my life, in my family, in friends around me. So how do I respond to that? Man, we sing his praise. We sing his praise. Because our hearts and our minds are getting right regarding how great our God is. And so they saw him at work. They were reminded who he is and what he's done and where they came from. And they shouted with praise. And I would like Nehemiah to end right there. I, I, you know, Ezra and Nehemiah as one book, it was just, it's men moved by God, prayed up, um, humble hearts connected to God, 
God's people would rally and then they would just mess up. And they would rally and they'd mess up. And Nehemiah was a great leader. I mean, there's, there's lots of books written about Nehemiah as a leader, taking leadership principles out of the life of Nehemiah. And that was great. But chapter 13 proves that you can have great leaders and still not follow God because they, they forget to follow God. They think they know how to live their life better than God. And so they, uh, there's greed and they, they hold back their, their tithes and offerings to the priests and Levites. They, um, they start taking their homes along the city, along the walls of the city and they're turning them into shops. And then on, on the Sabbath in which they're to keep holy for God and remember the goodness of God and to rest and to get your mind recentered on, man, how's the condition of my soul? Am I, am I walking with the God who created me? Well, instead of doing that day, it's like, we can make more money on this day. And so they're, they're running their markets on the Sabbath and, they've, and then they are saying, hey, you know, I, I, uh, I, I think there's some, some people here that are really interesting. They don't believe in what I believe. And instead of like trying to bring them into our beliefs, I'm going to start following them, getting influenced by them. And they start marrying people outside of their faith and they start diluting the, the the um, pool of the followers of the descendants of, of Abraham in which the Messiah is ultimately come, going to come. And they are a total mess. And Nehemiah looks at the people and said, are you kidding me? I mean, God has been so good. He's brought, we're in his city. We're back in Jerusalem, freed from that captivity. Yes, we're still under control, but we have the chance to under that control worship God and grow as a faith community in the city that he's promised to us, in the land that he's promised to us. Isn't God good? But instead of that, we forget who he is and we forget who we are and we wander away from him. And you think, how can that happen? How can that happen? I mean, they have prophets who are speaking into their life. They're seeing God work. How can that happen? And here's what happened is, is how God works through us, well, he works through us when our hearts are transplanted with God's heart. Uh, we can have great leaders. We can have times of total surrender to God and going, I get it, God, I see you clearly, but we're going to lose that if our hearts aren't connected to God. We can do good things for God and not have our hearts connected to God. And how is your heart connected to God? It, it is constantly desiring to, I want to keep remembering who you are, God. And so I'm gonna develop some spiritual disciplines in my life, why? So that I can say I must be a good Christian? No, so that I can keep my heart connected to you, God. And I can keep remembering how good you are and I can experience you and I can listen to you and as I go through my life, I know you're with me day in and day out and there's nothing greater or more fulfilling in life and who you made me to be than to live out the person that you made me to be and to follow you, knowing that you know what's best and I don't. And so I submit myself to your, to your lead, um, leadership in my life. And here's the beautiful thing. Uh, Ezekiel 36, 26 says, getting the heart of God is a gift to you. It's not something that I, got, I need to try harder, but we just need to remember who God is and what his gift is to us. And it says the Holy Spirit then takes that open heart to, that we'd have towards God and begins replacing our old heart with his heart. Ezekiel 36, 26, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh 
and give you a heart of flesh or a soft heart. In the New Testament, the Bible tells us the Holy Spirit does that work within us and basically reminding us that, you know what, we are, we are given a message about who we are and what our worth is in life and what our identity is and how can we experience um, joy and peace in life. And we're given that message all the time with all the different ways that we can try to fulfill that and have those deep needed um, needs in our soul met. And God's saying, ultimately, that heart is a lie. I mean, you will be running after all kinds of things that only take you away from me and don't fulfill the deepest needs of your soul because I created you and I created you to be in a relationship with me. And so I want to take and take that old heart and that old value system and that old everything and I want to remove it from you and I want to give you a new heart and a new value system and a new way of seeing yourself and seeing the world around you and seeing me according to who I say I am and who I say my creation is meant to be and how they're to function. And then we live for him and the people of God did things for God, but their hearts were disconnected from God. And that's the main point of Ezra and Nehemiah. We can do a lot of good things. We can follow good leaders. But if our heart is disconnected from God, ultimately, in the end, we'll wander away from him. We need to be people who recognize that we are creators of God, beautifully and wonderfully made by God, but broken. And we are desperately in need of having our heart connected to the heart of God. And we serve him wholeheartedly. And we don't think that we know more than him, but we seek to know him and follow him because he is God and we are not. And in that process, he transforms us. Nehemiah was a man who was in the presence of the king, in the throne room. And he gave that up so that he could serve his God and try to bring God's people back as a faith community following God. He was a picture of the coming Messiah. 400 years later, there would be somebody who left the throne room, not of the human king, but of God the Father, and came and walked this earth so that you and I could be invited as citizens into his city, into his family, as full-fledged citizens and members of the family of God. And he left the throne room and he gave up his life so that we could be offered forgiveness, so that we can be made right and brought back to the God who loves us, created us, is pursuing us, and has made us to walk with him. Uh, let me have you bow your heads, close your eyes, and, and as we um, just reflect a little bit on what God's been talking to you about through the book of Nehemiah, maybe you are a doer and uh, you get ideas and you assume they're God's, but uh, you have not submitted your heart to him. And 
today you're knowing that my heart needs to be right with God. I need to spend time not moving, but praying and listening and learning. And so I have clarity on what God wants, but also how God wants me to move. And maybe today is the day that you're thinking, I need to surrender myself. I have been living my life my way. And even though I acknowledge God, I have not submitted to him. So maybe you just need to talk to God and say, God, today I recognize you are God. And even though I act like I am God, in knowing all, I don't. And it has just kept me from you. And so God, you are God, I am not. And I ask you to forgive me. And I ask you to uh, bring me into your family because of what Jesus Christ has done. Thank you for making me your child. And Father, begin growing me up to stay more and more dependent upon you and looking to you instead of just assuming I got things on my own. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. You know, in, in your journey, maybe you have lots of questions. You're not sure if you're ready to take that step of placing your trust in God. Um, but you would love to dialogue about it. You'd love to, hey, this is where I'm at in my journey. Here's some questions I have. And just to have somebody listen to you as you, as you just think out loud. And then maybe somebody to uh, say, if, if you have specific questions, maybe I can point you to places in the Bible that talk about those questions. Um, if you like that, We'd love to walk alongside you in that. You, you can just write on your card that I like to talk to somebody about my spiritual journey. Um, drop that into the boxes on the way out. Or you can go and talk to those people who are at the next step counter out in the middle of the atrium out there. And they would love to connect with you. If you're online, um, you can do the same thing. Go to rollinghills.org slash next steps and let us know um, what you're thinking about. And uh, if you'd like somebody to connect with you. And we'd be glad to do that. Also, if you made a decision to follow Christ, this is a decision you made and you've been on this road and it's like, no, today's the day I take that step. I step over the line as a follower of Jesus. We have some stuff for you as well that we love that would help you in your journey. How do you begin building practices that are practices to, to help you get more connected to the heart of God in your journey? Um, we just got some practical ideas. You can take them or leave them, but I think you're going to find them helpful. So go out to that counter as well. Let them know that you made that decision today and they will give you that information. And online, rollinghills.org, next steps, and we will get you that information as well. And now we have the chance to continue to worship and to do that with not thinking about, uh, you know, I mean, I love what Aaron said earlier was we were worshiping that, um, man, this is an opportunity for us to get connected to God and to not be eval you know, evaluating everything, but just to be thinking about who God is and who I am and how good he is and to respond to his goodness. And so let's sing um, like I'm sure that celebration was back in Nehemiah when they uh, spent that time getting their minds right with God's word and then they vowed to follow and they sang praises to him. So let's do that with a full voice. <laughs> 